just wanted to say to you all, first of all, good afternoon, and what an immense pleasure it is for me to be here. As you've probably gathered, the backdrop of your course uh, is a quite challenging one for the United Kingdom in itself. Uh, we have a small issue of, uh, of Brexit. We have another small issue of a leadership campaign. So uh, as a minister serving in Her Majesty's government, you're not quite sure, in my case, what I'll be doing in about two weeks' time. But nevertheless, it is important that we show in the true British tradition, you keep calm, calm and carry on, and that's exactly what we're doing. Um, so here I am, and it's a pleasure to be here with you. I'm just listening to those last couple of comments uh, from the Emerging International Leaders Programme brought back a few memories. Many, many years ago, um, and I say many, many years ago without giving too much of my age away, I think it was in the mid-90s, I was at uh, a similar course for UK emerging leaders. Um, I was in banking and finance at that time, and I heard that final comment about friendships for life. Indeed, one of the people I met on that course is a friend for life. I've known him a good 20 years now, and it shows that the relationships you build on these courses as emerging leaders reflects that, fast forward a couple of decades, who knows what role may await you. When I came to the emerging leaders uh, program when I attended, I didn't know I would be a minister. I didn't know that I'd be a member of the House of Lords. If someone had told me that at that time, I would have probably told them to sit down. The sun had probably got to them a bit too much, and uh, there was a reality check required. But you know what? Set your ambition high. There is no limit to what can be achieved. And when we bring the young leaders together in an event like this, it's to do exactly that. The dynamics you all have, the personalities you bring, the energy, the enthusiasm, and you in yourselves are that future, that hope for not just your own countries, but for the strengths of the communities we build internationally. We set up this particular program because it was clear to us the world needs enlightened voices. I have the responsibility of being Minister for, the human, for Human Rights, Minister for the Commonwealth, and Minister for the UN amongst my responsibilities. And when you're at the UN, or you're sitting around the table with other Commonwealth leaders, it's the relationships that matter. When you get to those sticking points in international diplomacy, it's the fact that you know people, it's the fact that you respect people, and no matter what your difference or contrarian perspective, you come together on the basis of your relationships. Those relationships matter. But what brings us all here together is the important issue of being advocates, and in this case, advocates for the rights of freedom of religion or belief. About 12 months ago, around this time last year, our Prime Minister, Mrs May, who I've had the good fortune of knowing almost 30 years, you know, the first time I met Teresa, she knocked on the door of my parents' house as you do, and she was my local councillor. And as my mum, God bless her soul in heaven, in typical Asian, Indian, Pakistani traditions, called her in for not just tea, but samosas and pakoras and what have you. And there the relationship began. And I remember her coming along to my local school, and both Philip and her asking me to join the Conservative Party. I didn't know at that time that I would, but I did in 1994. The Conservative Party at that time was ripping itself apart over a question called Europe. Some things, challenges don't change over time. But nevertheless, I was very fortunate. I joined a party where I've had the opportunity to demonstrate to the party and to my constituency, to the people you serve, and to your country, 
about your passion for particular issues. And this issue of freedom of religion or belief is very close to my heart. I was asked after a recent speech I delivered at the UN on anti-Semitism. As I came out, I was interviewed and one of the papers asked me, they said, Lord Ahmed, despite the fact, despite the fact you are Muslim, you're very strong on anti-Semitism. I said, actually, it's because I am Muslim that I am strong on anti-Semitism. Because no matter what your faith or belief, the greatest test of your ability to be an advocate, the greatest test of your ability to stand up for something you believe in, is when you stand up for the rights and beliefs of others. That's the real test of your mettle. That's the real test of your passion. Because we can all advocate for ourselves. But it's when you stand up and you say, you know what, not only am I being counted, but I'm being counted as someone who will be an advocate and a passionate advocate at that for the rights of others. Therefore, I was very proud recently to be part and parcel of the report we initiated within the British Foreign Office on the persecution of Christians. Now, taking both leaders who are currently running to be the next Prime Minister, I remember about 18 months ago having a conversation with the then Foreign Secretary, Boris Johnson, about the importance of freedom of religion or belief. It was his advocacy to a certain extent, along with that drive of the Prime Minister, which led to my appointment as the first ever envoy for freedom of religion or belief. And you fast forward to the current Foreign Secretary. I remember upon his appointment, shortly thereafter, he called me in and we had a discussion about persecution of different communities, including Christian persecution. And it was then that we started the ball rolling on the independent report that the Bishop of Truro has now produced. And we will be looking to have the formal launch with stakeholders tomorrow morning at Church House near Westminster. And therefore, I'm really grateful to both the former Foreign Secretary, the current Foreign Secretary, but also the Prime Minister for the commitment they showed on the importance of freedom of religion or belief. There was a Prime Minister of not so long ago who once said, as a government, we don't do God. Well, our government does. But doing God means you stand up for the rights and faiths and beliefs of others. For example, I've had the opportunity to travel to different parts of the world. In Iraq, I saw for myself, when religion is abused, religion is used in a way which isn't reflective of that religion at all. Those who commit crimes in the name of religion have no basis in religion whatsoever. We saw the Yazidi community absolutely dehumanized with the worst kind of horrors inflicted upon the individuals of that community, particularly young girls and women. And when you see these courageous young women come forward to tell their story on the acts, these despicable horrors that were enacted on them, you know there's no basis of any sane religion or faith which would sanction such things. But it is equally important you stand up against such actions. We've also seen in other parts of the world, not just the atrocities of Daesh, but more recently in Burma, the plight of the Rohingya community is there unfolding in front of us. People using, again, a noble religion to somehow justify crimes against another. It is fundamentally against the principles of faith. It is fundamentally against the principles of any belief. It is fundamentally against the principles of humanity. And therefore, I've been proud of the role that we've been able to play as the United Kingdom, as penholders at the United Nations, to bring countries together 
very di diverse countries with different perspectives, including the likes of China and Russia. Because it comes back to that original point I said to you about relationships matter. Here was a challenging situation that there was a Western perspective, a Western alliance that believed this was the way forward, a different perspective from some of the other major powers. But there at the UN Security Council, because of those relationships, we were able to move forward with unanimity. And therefore, that matters. And relationships matter in this particular sphere as well. But we have to learn from each other. It means about committing ourselves to those causes. In the last year alone, we have launched, as the UK government, a 12 million development programme to promote and defend freedom of religion or belief. And this complements a further £2 million of existing funding that supports the world to combat intolerance and encourage mutual respect through education. And one point on that, if I may, ladies and gentlemen, too often we say, you know what we have to do? We have to build tolerant societies. You know, what is tolerance? Tolerance means, you know, you're sitting at me saying, oh, this chap's turned up, this bloke's turned up on the Sunday afternoon, we want to go home, we want to watch the other Lord of Wimbledon, Lord Federer on the tennis courts, and he's rattling on, you're tolerating me. What we need to build is respect. Because respect means, no matter what the person's opinion or view, no matter how contrarian it is to yours, you respect them for that opinion, and you are ready to listen and to be heard. For my part, I've used my platform as a special envoy for freedom of religion or belief to speak up for all religions or beliefs, from the Baha'is in Yemen to Jehovah's Witnesses in Russia to Uyghur Muslims in China to Amdis and Christians in Pakistan and Indonesia. The list goes on. Now, that doesn't mean, oh, yes, we're able to speak up for others. It means and it demonstrates what the challenge of freedom of religion or belief is across the world. And you know what? Right here in the United Kingdom, a country that I'm proud to call home, a country where I was born, where I was nurtured, where I was educated, where I worked, where I lived, and now have the honor to represent. Yes, we have challenges of freedom of religion or belief as well. Some of you may have followed in the two main political parties within the Labour Opposition Party, there is a challenge of anti-Semitism. In my own party, there have some who have raised and reared the head of Islamophobia. We must act collectively and collaboratively to address these issues. So the job is never done. This isn't about a remote challenge in other parts of the world. We must never forget that the freedoms we defend, the rights we have, were hard won. A hundred years ago or so, women didn't have the vote in the United Kingdom. So we should never forget how challenging situations were historically, but we should also never forget that this is a constant evolution and that we need to remain focused. I've had the opportunity to discuss this important issue of freedom of religion or belief at the highest levels with His Holiness the Pope, the Grand Imam of Al-Azhar. And if I may, just on a personal note of reflection, when I met His Holiness the Pope, I met him and I remember that particular meeting and I presented him with a copy of the Holy Quran in Spanish. And my words to him at that time was, Holy Father, you know, I, I present to you a man of God, as a Muslim, the word of God. He was very appreciative and we had a conversation about some of the challenges we faced. And then right at the end, he asked everyone just to move away slightly. And he leant forward, grasped both my hands. And he said, Lord Ahmed, I have something to ask of you now. And I said, of course, if it's within my grasp, it would be my honor. He leant forward. He said, it is. 
I've read about you, I've now met you, and I know the passion you have for standing up for the rights of others, but I have a personal request. Now I thought, here I was in the Vatican, what will the, his, his Holiness Pope Francis ask me? What could he want from me? And he leant forward, he said, can you pray for me? Now here, the leader of the Catholic Church, in the Vatican, asking someone of a another faith as a visiting delegate to his home, asked me to pray for him. Now, it threw me. As a politician, believe it or not, I was lost for words, and I burbled something out which was something along the lines of, yes, of course, your holiness. But it demonstrated to me that the world today is full of incredible leaders of that example who are ready to stand up and work with others for a just cause. And there is no better cause, I believe, than standing up for the rights of freedom of religion or belief. Why? Because if we get this right, if we get the fundamentals of freedom of religion or belief right, there are so many other human rights that just fall into place. Therefore, never give up that hope, no matter what your domestic challenge or the international scope and challenges you've been looking at, it's important that you never give up. Indeed, one of my own inspiring leaders within the political world, the great Margaret Thatcher said to me many years ago as she met me, she said, Tarek, you will face obstacles, you will face barriers in what you seek to do. But promise me today that you'll persevere and never give up. And when we look around the world again today, I mentioned Burma, I mentioned the Uyghur Muslims, but most recently, the challenge of attacks that we still see by extremists who seek to divide us. You can look at the Philippines, you can look at Burkina Faso, the attacks on the mosques in New Zealand, the attacks on the churches in Sri Lanka. It shows no country, no part of the world is immune, the attacks on the synagogues in the United States. It is therefore vital that all of us who believe in fairness, equality, justice, respect, keep promoting this crucial message, not of mutual tolerance or tolerance alone, but of mutual understanding and the fundamental right to practice your religion or belief within the laws, wherever you may be. And that is why each and every one of you, emerging leaders like you, have a valuable role to play. Changing deeply held attitudes is not something that governments can achieve alone. Everyone can play their part, particularly people in leadership positions, in emerging leadership positions like your good selves, whether it be in business, in faith organizations, NGOs, civil society, and yes, governments as well. It is important we work together in promoting the message of respect for people of all faiths or beliefs. It is only then we will achieve our common objective of creating a world where everyone has a right to believe who they are believe and follow whatever religion they choose to. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for giving me an opportunity to be with you here this afternoon. I hope you found that the course has been something which has given you great insights. But let me leave you with this final message. The work is never done. Never sit back. Whatever role you do, and I speak from personal experience, be it in business, be it in civil society, be it in NGO, be it in government, and most important for me, be it in your own family as a dad. You can never sit back. You can never sit back and say, I've done my bit, and now it's for others to carry that forward. I live by the philosophy of my own faith that from cradle to grave, you should excel. You should seek to learn. You should seek to educate yourself. And it's from meeting people like yourselves, having the opportunity and honor to be here with you this afternoon, 
that ensures that I continue to be on that education sphere. I continue to learn. And I assure you, whatever the challenge, if people who are like-minded, who have faith in their heart, whatever faith or belief they choose to follow, who wish to serve the cause of humanity, no matter how big the challenge, no matter how high the wall, you will always succeed. I live by a quote which was given to me by my father, which used to be on my bedroom wall, which was from Sheridan, an Irish poet, which read that the surest way to succeed is to be determined not to fail. And I assure you, if we work together, we will never fail. Thank you.